you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, fully vaccinated and ready to get back outside again. Uh, big show for you, as always. We are joined uh, with producer Justin. I can speak English. It's fine. Uh, sitting in again this week, but uh, a guest that I always love talking to. Uh, he's on the show at least once a year, maybe more than that. Uh, I always try to return the favor by going on his show as well. Uh, if you watch and listen to this show, you probably know him. He is the all-in kid on Twitter. It is Jake Seeley. Uh, Jake, always good to talk to you. How are things in how are things in Canada? Uh, that's a that's a weird <laughs> joke between the two of us. For whatever reason, I thought Jake was Canadian. He is Virginian, which is very different. Uh, but <laughs> how well, are things? I'm, I'm not that close to the border even. Actually, it was you and Graham when we met up at the at the, <laughs> right. at the combine. We're like, oh, I thought you were Canadian. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I hang out with Chris Meany too much. He's enjoying hockey. Things are good, man. I, you know, football. I'm in the middle of my breakout players for 2021, which just kind of feels like June-ish is, you know, we're not really there in draft season yet, although you and I are probably in some drafts so far, uh, but you know, it's that feeling of it's getting close. It's getting close and that's all that matters. I believe today, here we are on June 1st. uh, Is it a hundred days? A hundred days. Yeah. I think we're a hundred days from the start of the season. There we go. So, uh, so the countdown is on. So we are, uh, we are one presidential administration beginning away from the start of the season. (laughs) So um, that's what we're doing today. We're doing the top 100 players. Is that what we're yeah, going to go through 100 players? So everybody buckle up. And, uh, you know, we're going to start with. No, nah, I have no idea. Um, yeah, now we got, got a lot to talk about. I, I wanted to talk about and we'll get to this. What I call the fantasy Rorschach tests, the guys who uh, you can sort of put their name out there and you will immediately get differing opinions. They're the guys that I say you you see what you want to see in them. Right. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious where you fall on some of these guys as well. I, I did want to start, though. I had held this section for news. And in full disclosure, I was sort of thinking, like, maybe something happens with Julio Jones over the weekend and he gets traded. And then, you know, I woke up this morning to scroll and make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, and I hadn't missed anything, really, until uh, maybe a couple hours ago when the news broke that Rex Burkhead signed with the Texans. So that's our news today, because that's like the biggest thing that's happened uh, NFL fantasy-wise over the last two or three days. So he goes to a very crowded backfield that already has guys like Mark Ingram and David Johnson and Philip Lindsay and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, look, we have seen Rex Burkhead the last few years in New England. He was a nice, valuable piece for the Patriots, even if he wasn't necessarily fantasy-relevant all the time. But, Jake, with so many guys there in Houston, are we really drafting any Texans running backs at this point? Can we do a show that you and I enjoy? Can we Voltron them together? Can we just, <laughs> just, kind of like, just have them form in, into one? That'd be great. It'd be like the David uh, the David Montgomery meme, you know, like the Frank. Yeah, the, exactly. The speed of Barkley and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Look, to be honest, if David Johnson falls enough, which he is, I'll still throw a dice roll. The crazy thing, I was looking this up this morning when the news, the same news you saw, and I didn't realize David Johnson finished inside the top 25. Like, 
that's how miserable running back can be. <laughs> and it wasn't just the, for the full season. David Johnson was also inside the top 20 on points per game. Like it just, yeah, I, I know I, I double checked myself. I'm like, wait, am I looking at the right thing? <laughs> but uh, it's funny you say that. Cause that's kind of like your Rorschach test is like, I feel like our immediate reaction would be like, David Johnson sucks. Now this entire backfield stinks. There's nobody good here. But I think that if David Johnson's there, as your RB three and you've already got wide receiver, like we're talking sixth, seventh, eighth round, I probably seventh, eighth round for me. Uh, I could see doing it. The problem, what you said is there's so many options behind them, but let's talk about Mark Ingram looked like garbage last year, to be honest. I mean, the only reason we were drafting Mark Ingram in the fifth round last year is because he played for the Ravens. Not so much because Mark Ingram was exceptional. Uh, Phil Lindsay, a lot of, Concerns with the injuries, how healthy he is. I don't think Rex Burkhead is more. What this kind of tells me for the Texans is that even if things are whatever with the quarterback situation, maybe they're really concerned about the passing game and they're just going to run the living hell out of the ball next year because you're looking at it. They don't have Will Fuller. They have Brandon Cooks. And after him, it's Isaiah Coulter in his second year who didn't seal the field much. They just drafted Nico Collins. They have Andre Roberts and I don't even know who else is on the. Is QT even still on this team? I mean, I just feel like they may just run the ball like the Seahawks run the ball. I mean, maybe. And, you know, you talk about all those running backs, right? And I feel like they have a collection of guys who, if they were all spread out into separate places, like we would feel slightly better about them, right? Like they might they might all get bumped up a round or two in their ADP. Like, yeah, they, they still have question marks. I mean, you're right. Mark Ingram was not great last year, right? Philip Lindsay was okay. I mean, he, he had his injury issues, as you mentioned. I mean, David Johnson, uh, you know, he'll never come close to that magical 2016 season that he had. Um, but if they were all on different rosters, I think we could all make a stronger case for each one of these yeah. guys. Altogether, it's just... Um, I mean, if there's such a thing as being less than the sum of your parts, I think that's sort of what <laughs> what this Texans running back room is. It's just none of them are exciting all to none of them are exciting enough that if you put them together, you're like, man, I got to get a piece of that. It just it just feels miserable. And and you, so you kind of touched on it, too. Right. Not knowing what the future is going to be for Deshaun Watson. I mean, can you make a case for drafting any Texans at all this year? I think the only one would be, again, David Johnson at a reasonable cost. If somebody sees what I mentioned and looks only at last year's numbers and not how crowded this backfield is, I can see somebody trying to take him there rather than their RB2, and I'm not going to do that. I think Brandon Cooks is still valuable no matter who the starter, even if it's Davis Mills, even a rookie at quarterback, it's still Brandon Cooks. Uh, and Brandon Cooks for where he's going because and this is this is great that we're doing this. You, you picked the perfect show to talk about the Texans with the Rorschach test is that <laughs> he's kind of one of those guys where I think that you set it up perfectly. He's like, you, you mentioned Brandon Cooks and if you threw him out in an auction for people that play auctions you're going to see your entire room of auction people they're going to have two reactions they're going to be like oh okay let's let's start bidding or the people are just going to go like that and just immediately be out. <laughs> because that's what Brandon Cooks does he brings in either you either like him or you don't so I could definitely see Brandon Cooks uh, and to go back to the running thing I mean uh, maybe the Texans are just gunning for the number one pick like this is that do they still have their first round in next year i don't know do they, they, don't, they don't, i don't think they have like a first round pick until like 2030 or something like that i don't know it's ridiculous. <laughs> I feel like they're the nba team like that <laughs> far away oh it's so bad um this honestly could be uh you know especially if deshaun watson isn't there this could be the worst offense in the nfl um i mean what you're looking at a potential what Tyrod and look I like Tyrod I, I make no bones yeah. about it I like Tyrod but let's let's not pretend that he is some great shakes back there I mean so it's him it's Jeff Driscoll it's Davis Mills like that's not 
a really inspiring quarterback room. Um, and you talk about the running backs and, and you know, we're, we are sitting we're sitting here trying to parse reasons to draft Brandon Cooks. That just doesn't seem right. <laughs> um, I mean, so let me I, this is just off the off the cuff here. Right. Texans with no Deshaun Watson or the Lions, which is the worst offense potentially. Texas with no Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not the biggest Jared Goff fan there is, but you know, if you're talking about, let's compare the backfields, you have Swift and Jamal Williams versus this mess. Uh, yeah. The wide receivers, I would give the edge, but you get the vast, <laughs> vast, vast edge at tight end with TJ Hawkinson. So it comes down to the quarterback play kind of makes the difference for me. And you're talking about a rookie or Driscoll or Ty, you know what? To be, to be honest with you, I'm going to backtrack on that. I'm going to say, if Tyrod, <laughs> well, no, no, because if Tyrod, I'm with you, I'm a Tyrod guy. If Tyrod mm-hmm. was the starter, if you said right now, no Deshaun Watson, but Tyrod is the starter for 16 of the 17 games, I would say Houston's are going to slightly outdo the Lions. All right. All right. I mean, it is, it is a, the, I always love the arguments or the discussions of who sucks less. And that's kind of what this is potentially. Um, <laughs> Who ends up with the number one pick? Is that? Yeah, right? you know, I mean, which you know, if you if if you are the team that's holding on to the Texans' first round pick, like you have to sort of be licking your chops right now because <laughs> this could potentially be great for you. Who knows? Um, I do like talking draft strategy this time of year because you know, otherwise we're trying to manufacture news out of Rex Burkhead going to Houston, and and there's not a lot of juice to be squeezed there. Um, but I just finished writing. Uh, I was I. I was very pleased and proud to be able to, to write a little piece for Bob Harris and Emil Cadlick at the uh, uh, Football Diehards magazine. And so I just wrote something about, um, and I'm not sure, it'll be on newsstand soon, I guess. Do, you, do people still say that? I, I guess that I just is, is that. that what it is? Is a newsstand? Newsstands. <laughs> yeah, it'll be you know, at, at your local newsstand now. I'm sure people like under the age of 20 are like, what the hell is a newsstand? Um, <laughs> it's next to the phone booth. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but I did write about the 17-game schedule and what this means and what this could, could do uh, for fantasy this year. Have you thought a lot about this, about what this means? Has this changed anything you're doing in terms of draft and roster construction this year? Not really. I have, I mean, I have thought about it, but it hasn't changed a whole lot. I think if you're looking at commissioner level type stuff mm-hmm. is you really have two choices here. You just push everything back one week. Or I know that this somewhat opens up people who want to have a double, a, like a two weeks worth of your final championship matchup mm-hmm. because – you know, you hate getting to the championship game and watching three people fall short just in a terrible week. I mean, this was Todd Gurley was in his great season. Wasn't Todd Gurley the name like go belly up in week 16 yeah, or something or week 15 so. or something like that. Yeah. So I understand wanting to go to two weeks, but you get the counter argument of you want the best teams in the playoffs. You don't want luck to be too much of a factor. So adding another regular season matchup, you know, you could argue both sides of it. I'm OK if people want to go to a two week championship game for that reason. Uh, so that's more of my thought where it comes down to draft strategy. I think that, you know, me, I, I say Marcus knows me and for everybody out there that has <laughs> followed me, it's like I'm bell cow running back for life. I've always been bell cow running back as in, in the first two rounds, I want to come out with somebody who is a fantasy bell cow, somebody that I know I can trust every single week. And I always lean more towards running back depth, especially the past two seasons. I mean, we're talking about wide receivers that are down there in the fifth, sixth round or guys that could easily finish as a top, 12, 15 wide receiver this year, just because of how deep even the top end is. Mm. So where I put all that out there to say is I'm stocking up my bench with a few more running backs. Maybe like if I'm making a toss up of like, do I take a flyer on this wide receiver that could break out if he gets the starting job, if he breaks past somebody, or do I go for a clear backup who if somebody gets hurt? Like 
I don't love Devontae Booker, but if Saquon Barkley got hurt again, Devontae Booker or Hubbard behind Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to go with that guy, those guys, because look at last year, Marcus, you know this. We were chasing Savon Ahmed. We were chasing <laughs> all these random running backs like Samaj P. Ryan, like all these guys who's like, oh, my God, I got to spend everything I have left on fab to go get them <laughs> because we need running backs. And you add another week. And you know this, it's just more likely that we get to your championship game or even your playoffs, and there's even fewer healthy running backs. I mean, as someone who started Patrick Laird a couple of years ago, just hoping for some production <laughs> late in the season, uh, I understand. And that that to me was sort of my big thought process, right, is that I think we're going to see more running backs get touches, even without, you know, injuries happening at the top level I just think with more games you know even just four more quarters knowing the, the beating that running backs take I, I just have this feeling coaches are going to try to spread the wealth in their backfield a little bit more which means we're going to see more running backs sort of be you know maybe not fantasy relevant across an entire season but in any given week we're going to see more guys get opportunities and I think that's that as you talk about running back depth is going to be key is making sure you just have more of these guys and I also feel like with wide receiver being as deep as it is you will always be able to, I think, find somebody off the waiver wire that can give you a, a pretty good number in any given week. I think that's just yeah. going to get harder to find uh, with running back. So uh, and that's, right, that's and cool. That's, yeah. and, that, and that's why with the Urban Meyer situation with the ETN pick and all that type of stuff, like I don't think James Robinson is dead. I think right. James Robinson is going to be a better version of Latavius Murray is where, where Latavius Murray most of the time we're sitting out there because your point about the split touches is that, you know, we want Latavius Murray if Kamara gets hurt, but very rarely do you ever say, oh, I want to start Latavius Murray. I think some some teams like Gus Edwards, like James Robinson, you're going to say, you know what, if that's my flex running back. I'm going to use him most. Jamal Williams, go back to the Lions. Most weeks you're going to be saying, hey, I'm going to get eight to 12 touches because of this shared backfield situation you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I, I have some Gus Edwards thoughts, too. I'm going to you know ask you about a little bit later uh, in, in the show. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I think that I think it's going to be a thing. where We have a lot more running backs sort of getting involved in this. By the way, I, I never believed that James Robinson was going to see the same level of touches this year that he did last year. I felt like the seas sort of parted. Right. I mean. You had some guys get hurt. You had some guys opt out because of COVID. And so when we got to the season, Robinson was sort of the last man standing and he got all that kind of work. I didn't think they would do that again. I also didn't think uh, they would go out and take one of the top three best backs in the draft class. To pair I'm with you. Him. Um, and anyway, this this is all going to be moot, Jake, when they just start using Tim Tebow at the goal line <laughs> for those two-yard touchdowns. Can he jump past to himself? PPR points, man. <laughs> oh, man. Like, if, if it's possible, he will try it. I believe I believe Urban Meyer will put that into the uh, the playbook if it's possible. Um, all right. So let's, let's get to the fantasy Rorschach test because this is really what I want to talk to you about. I mean, these are the guys who you generally have your opinion, maybe not fully formed, but you are sort of leaning one way or another when their names come up. Um, and they're usually likely to start a fight on Twitter uh, when you start talking about them. The first one, um, and I was fully prepared to move this guy up to the news section if something happened, but it didn't. Julio Jones, because I feel like every year people talk about like they're not going to draft Julio Jones because like he doesn't <laughs> score enough touchdowns. And like I'm like, well, all he does is give you like, you know, 90 to 100 catches and like 13 to 1400 yards. And like that doesn't seem terrible at all. This year, though, I feel like it's really gone. Uh, anti-Julio with like he's old and he's busted and he's terrible. I mean, I watched 
I watch Brown's Twitter have an online fight saying that they would rather have Jarvis Landry than Julio Jones. And I thought I was losing my damn mind. Um, I mean, where do you fall? Do you still believe that Julio, maybe he's not one of the elites, right? I'm willing to concede that, but I still think he's a very good wide receiver or is he just busted and old and we should just forget that he existed. Uh, It's perception versus reality. And I'm I'm with uh, Julio Jones. I, usually roster most seasons because he always comes at a discount it seems uh, because of what you're saying the perception is you mentioned it he has to score touchdowns and I, I remember this because i wrote about it last year that was one out of five seasons where he scored three touchdowns all the other seasons it was six plus no he's not scoring 15 but he scored six plus in those other seasons before last year and then you mentioned the injuries he's played 14 games all of those seasons i think the perception there is that there's a lot of times where you see him on the sideline out for a couple plays and that kind of gets baked into your mind when you see him miss a game and then he misses a few plays or maybe he comes out goes to the locker room early at halftime like so you kind of have this built up in your mind of this perception of like he's always banged up he's always missing games he's always hurt he doesn't score touchdowns and then that's the narrative that's created so I'm with you. I'm a Julio Jones guy. I actually wrote him as a value last year. And of course, one of the first things I saw this offseason was somebody who saved the tweet, told you Julio Jones was going to stink. The guy missed half the season. Like, that's what we're doing this. But I'll, I bring that up to say you're going to have people like that in your league. And that's where you take Julio Jones. Julio Jones going in, what is he, like the mid to late teens right now? It's just absurd. I don't care if he's on Atlanta. I don't care if he's on Tennessee. I don't care where he is. Julio Jones, while he's on the field, you just mentioned it. He scores 100 yards or puts up 100 yards more often than he doesn't. Uh, I will take Julio Jones as a wide receiver too. And if I went running back, running back, and he was my number one, I'm not going to play the injury narrative because look at Saquon Barkley. You know, two years in a row, it's just, the, it's the NFL, man. Everybody is an injury risk, unless you're Todd Gurley. If you have no bone, if you're like <laughs> bone on bone and you have like no ligaments, that's an injury risk. Julio Jones is not a concern for me. I just, I just don't get it. Right. And it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me, but that seems to be the talk. I, I still believe. And you're right with the discount. I will gladly, I will gladly smash draft on the, on the button when, uh, when Julio Jones comes up, if I'm sitting there somewhere in the, you know, late second round or whatever it is, I just, you know, third it's, round it's right now. It's ridiculous. I don't get it. Um, the next one is Joe Mixon. And, you know, you talk about a, a guy, again, the injury risk narrative, right? Because he has missed some time. And then the first half of, of you know, one season, he was bad. He sort of came back late last season. But now there's this talk that Joe Mixon might not come off the field. He potentially is going to be a three down back. And Joe Burrow is back. And the offense is going to be clicking and what have you. Um, I I guess I don't tend to believe. I think he has, you know, certainly two down potential. I don't know about three down potential. Um, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I should be more optimistic about Joe Mixon. I just can't bring myself to be that person right now. I'm not. So it's funny. It's like, I'm a Joe Mixon supporter, but at the same time, I'm not optimistic. Same as you. Uh, the, also the drafting of Chris Evans and the undrafted Puka Williams pickup makes me also think to what you're saying. It's like, yeah, I don't really believe you. He's out there for all three downs. Also given his past, you know, do you really want to, you just brought in 17 games, you know, the injury history. Do we really want Joe Mixon out there touching the ball 20, 25 times every single week? You're going to get him hurt again. You get a lot of running backs hurt doing that. The other part of it too, is when I dug into Joe Mixon, I saw that like even his peak, which was a really great season was still only like RB 11. Like I just kind of feel like I don't see his ceiling being top five. And I wouldn't be surprised if he still doesn't even make inside the top 10 playing 16 games. It's just Joe Mixon is great, but I think he's always been in that 
Chris Carson, kind of like a, you know, a healthy David, Jones. well, not obviously throw out the one great season, but David Jones, but all these like high end RB twos where, you know, you're just not quite there. And that's not a bad thing. If he's your RB two, like not every running back needs to be inside the top 10. Um, but I think that I'm with you on that. It's like, I just don't see his ceiling being top five. I mean, I just, I think one of the frustrations, if you had Joe Mixon on your roster was watching him stand on the sidelines, watching Gio Bernard get snaps when, you know, when they were in the two minute drill, whenever they were in obvious passing situations, just having him come off the field. And I don't know, maybe something has changed. Maybe they believe in his hands and believe in him as a pass catcher or pass protector a lot more. Um, but I tend to think they still are skeptical. And and the fact also is this is going to be a team that throws the football a lot this year. Their defense isn't going to be light years better. They got a quarterback. They had Joe Burrow before he got hurt. I mean, he was throwing the ball, what, 55, 60 times a game last year. Uh, you know, may, maybe they try to avoid having the number be that high, but they're still going to throw the football a lot. They went out, they add Jamar Chase to what's already a, a pretty decent wide receiver room with Tyler Boyd uh, and and uh, T. Higgins. Almost forgot his name, but, uh, you know, they. I just don't I don't see suddenly they're going to turn around and feed Joe Mixon like, you know, 60, 75 targets. I just don't I right. just don't think that's the case. And in that case, I don't know that he is a great enough just straight ahead running back to sort of make up that difference. Um, completely with you, too. So if you talk about like who's where are you going to take the ball out of your best player's hand on this team? The best player is the quarterback. I mean, well, obviously it might end up being Chase like once we see it, but like. It's not Joe Mixon. You know, you could say some teams like the line, like Swift is the most talented player on that team right now, but you're not going to take the ball to Joe Burrow's hands. He's still throwing, even if it's not 50, 50 times, 55 times, like you were saying, I would be shocked if he doesn't average nearly like 40 attempts per game. Yeah, no, I, I really do think he's got to throw the ball a ton this year. Um, it's going to look like some of those lion seasons where like Matt Stafford had like, you know, 600, 600 pass attempts. <laughs> I mean, it really could be like that for, uh, for Joe Burrow this year. Um, okay, this is the one I really wanted to ask you about because as I was going through your stuff at The Athletic, um, you wrote a piece about how much you love J.K. Dobbins and you were <laughs> head scratching at why everybody else uh, was not following along with you. And I I just want to hear you make you because I'm one of those those sheep that that is not jumping on the J.K. Dobbins bandwagon. <laughs> I just want to hear you, you make your case for why you love him so much. Oh, well, so where do I do I start with what his performance was or do I start, I'll start with the performance and then come to the talent uh, the performance so the pushback I've seen and the concerns that I've seen is everybody's like well Gus Edwards is a thing and J.K. Dobbins wasn't seeing the ball 20 times a game he wasn't out there getting all of the carries he wasn't getting all the receptions not even that much work in the past all this I see all that. I understand all that. And I don't disagree with a lot of it, uh, but I'll compare him to Austin Eckler and DeAndre Swift, what we're expecting for this year. And some of these running backs, not every running back for fantasy purposes needs to touch the ball 20 times. They don't. And Austin Eckler has made a career of doing that and finishes an RB one, not touching the ball 20 times a game. So I put that out there to also say that once Mark Ingram was cast aside, which was week 11, and it was the Dobbins slash Edwards show the rest of the season. I say slash because Edwards was out there every single week. Edwards is out there getting double-digit touches many of those weeks, getting double-digit fantasy points many of those weeks. Even with all that, J.K. Dobbins was still RB8. He was RB10, I think, in fantasy points per game. And that entire time, Gus Edwards was still RB24. And that's with Dobbins not even being unleashed. I say I put that in quotes because he is a better pass catcher than I think people realize because of what happened last year. So I'm going to go to the talent and say what I said about Dobbins coming into last year's draft is that Dobbins was in tier one. It was Taylor Swift and Dobbins for me. 
He is a great all-around running back. He is actually a very good pass blocker, which is going to help him stay on the field, who, by the way, Gus Edwards doesn't pass or block and doesn't receive at all. Like, he's not on the field for that. So that's going to be Dobbins' game, unless they magically mix in a third person, which I don't think they're going to do. I think this is going to be a Dobbins-Edwards show, like we just saw, and I'm not concerned about a 55-45 split because Dobbins is going to be what he was last year, and that's an RB1 when he's the lead in that backfield. So I I fall squarely into the, you know, as you mentioned, the, yeah, Gus Edwards is there. And on top of it, like, I can get him at a much cheaper draft price. But I do think, I think you made a good point about, you know, what Dobbins did in, you know, relatively sort of a capped situation there. And I, I it did make me remember that I said, I think, you know, midway through last season that, I would like that Ravens backfield more if just one of those pieces was sort of taken out of the picture. And, you know, Mark, Mark Ingram is now out of the picture. So, um, I mean, I guess I can come around a little bit more. I still, you know, the, the frugal drafter in me still looks at Gus Edwards, like several rounds later is like, Oh, maybe I do that instead. Um, and you get your RB2. And I will say one thing about the Mark Ingram in 2019. Do you remember this from the article? Because it's in there. Do you remember how many touches per game Ingram averaged in 2019 when he was a top 10 running back? I know it was in there. I don't remember the number though. 15. That's it. <laughs> he carried the ball 202 times. Like mm-hmm. this backfield and the talent slash backfield combined. Like you just you don't need to touch the ball 20 times like you would in a lot of other situations. Like you said, Dobbins was let's swap Barkley and Dobbins and put Dobbins on the Giants. I mean, I don't want to as an RB one. No, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> no, you're probably right. Um, so I you have you have sort of swayed me a little bit on Dobbins because I was sort of like I don't you know I know and I, I know the hype train is really rolling. Uh, in some areas for him, but I just keep looking at, well, Gus Edwards is going to be there. Plus, you know, there's obviously still Lamar Jackson is going to take a bunch of carries and that stuff too. But I do think with one fewer guy there to absorb some of those touches that maybe there is a stronger case to be made for JK Dobbins than than I had originally thought. Um, Staying in Baltimore though, the next one for me is Rashad Bateman. And I know that the the people who, especially in draft Twitter, who studied Rashad Bateman and love Rashad Bateman think there really is an opportunity for him there. And I say that yes, but let's not get carried away because this is still going to be a run heavy offense. Like I feel like this is one of those situations where you have to separate the talent of the player from the landing spot, because I think Rashad Bateman is super talented, but I think he also landed in an offense that is going to just sort of naturally limit how much he can be productive. And that to me has sort of dampened any enthusiasm I have for him. Um, and I'm hundred percent with you on this one. And I am somebody who is a big fan of Rashad Bateman uh, for pre-draft right up. I think it's tier two for me and wide receivers outside of the big three. Uh, you know, just the, it's the worst landing spot you could possibly find. And now it's even before you include Sammy Watkins being there. And you know, we can make jokes about Sammy Watkins with the Chiefs and all that type of stuff, but Sammy Watkins is still there. Sammy Watkins still is on the field for most games out of the season, even at this point of his career with Hollywood Brown. And I know that Miles Boykin hasn't really done much in, in the NFL, but Miles Boykin is just not cast aside. It's not like they cut the guy. Uh, still a big presence, brings a completely different game than Bateman does, or I should say Bateman does from him, whichever way you want to spin it. But the opportunity is there to maybe improve Lamar Jackson as a passer, like real life NFL, you know, get him some more work over the middle of the field instead of just trying to hit Marquise Brown deep a lot. That's all great. But the biggest question is, is Lamar Jackson even going to get 500 pass attempts? Like that's, that's actually pretty, it's pretty big number for Lamar Jackson. So you have to look at it and I'm going to compare him to what Sammy Watkins old team was. And that's Michael Harmon. We could sit there and be like, Michael Harmon's a great talent. Let's, 
but it doesn't matter when there's at least two, if not three guys in front of you. And we all knew the numbers of Michael Hardman. And the fact is when Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill were healthy, the dude saw about two targets a game. I think that's the concern with Bateman. He, you need a Watkins injury or you just need him to be completely toast. And put it this way, Bateman needs to be one of the top two receivers on this team. And I don't know if he even gets to that, if he's the second wide receiver, because you still have Mark Andrews there. That's the other part of it is that Mark Andrews is still going to get a whole bunch of targets. And yeah, that, that, I mean, you talk about Lamar Jackson getting to 500 pass attempts. Let's talk 400 pass attempts. I mean, <laughs> his, his MVP season, he had 401, right? Like he was just, just across that 400 pass attempt threshold. And I think like that, that might be the number we're looking at for pass attempts for him, which does severely limit everybody else in that, that office, by the way. You mentioned Nicole Hardman. Uh, is this the year we finally stop trying to make Nicole Hardman happen? Or does it do we keep trying because Sammy Watkins isn't there anymore? Now, now we try because Sammy Watkins isn't there. And the best part about it is the disappointment has kept his cost right now depressed because people just, again, the perception they remember, oh, I've been so frustrated with Nicole Hardman and not realize, hey, well, man, now no Sammy Watkins. Now he has the opportunity to be out there. It's still Kelsey and Hill before anybody else. Um, but, but real quick to go back to the two is like, so the reason I threw out 500 is because this was the number I was going to throw at you, Marcus. Let's even say he got 500 pass attempts, which would be otherworldly for Lamar Jackson. And let's even say Bateman got a 20% target share. Quick math, everybody. And that's why I did the easy 100 targets. That's 100 <laughs> targets. targets if he was a 20% market share and he was the 500 pass attempts. It's just they're not there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing I keep coming back to is like, I don't care how good he is. And I think he's good. Um, this offense just doesn't lend itself to throwing right. the football, at least throwing it in his direction a whole lot. So I just, I just don't really see that, see that happening. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the tar that the discussion about his talent has sort of overridden uh, everything else about his situation down in Miami. Tua Tungavailoa, right? Last year, he was he was mediocre at best when we look at what he did uh, production-wise. And the drumbeat sort of started early in his NFL career that, like, maybe he's a bust. Maybe the Dolphins should have taken Justin Herbert. And I think a lot of people are still sort of cool on Tua. I tend to go the other way, where I think there's – there's better stuff to come. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to finish the year as a, a top 12 quarterback. I think he's at best still a, a QB two in a lot of leagues, but I'm also not really willing to close the book on him just yet. And I think he can get a lot better from what we saw last year, but I just feel like a lot of people, Jake have already sort of washed their hands of him and decided that the dolphins made a mistake because they drafted him. I'm, I, I don't know which side of the fence you fall on for this. I fall on supremely behind to it and going for it. You know what? We're going to be all making a mistake at, you know, writing them off so quickly. Can he absolutely bust? And, you know, maybe Miami's looking at a new quarterback next year. Of course, you know, nobody's a guarantee, but I I'm with you for a couple of reasons. If you look at last year, it's partly their fault. They tried to straddle the fence and you know, you never, you don't want to do that with anything in life because you're just, you're not doing a service to anybody. And what I say that is because they were starting to change the offense. It was kind of a West Coast hybridy trying to change to Tua and his skill set. But then they went back to Fitzpatrick, and Fitzpatrick doesn't fit that. Preston Williams doesn't fit that offense himself, and that's why you saw Preston Williams kind of fall off even before he got hurt. And it was just a lot of changes, and it was kind of like – I got it. For everybody that's an NBA fan, it's kind of like the Bulls for years. It's like they kind of try to get in the playoffs and try to cobble to get, but they don't do a full rebuild. And you just end up being in the middle of the road. And it hurt Tua. And so 
I don't think Tua is a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there's a lot more for Tua. The same thing with the Eagles this offseason, and the same thing we just talked about Lamar Jackson. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson from year one to year two. Now you have an entire offseason where it's, all right, stop screwing around. We're designing this offense for Tua. We're going to build around him. We're going to bring in a draft pick. Former college teammate. It's so fun that we have three wide receivers back with their college quarterbacks. But somebody that brings a dynamic to this, or you know, a dynamic ability to this offense that he hasn't had in the past, and then they add Will Fuller as a deep threat. But I think the Waddle addition is bigger than anything because I know people are like, don't call him the next Tyreek Hill because everybody's the next Tyreek Hill. But of course, there's a lot to become Hill, but the skill set is very similar. And to bring that where Tua excels in the middle of the field and getting those quick reads, you don't want him to think too much at times. I think we'll just boost Parker being able to do more. Will Fuller just helps Parker and that offense more. And I think Tua could easily finish inside the quarterback one conversation for fantasy purposes because he's also going to run. He's not Kyler Murray, but the rushing upside is there for at least like a Daniel Jones, five, 600 yards. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's part of it, too. I, so what I keep going back to with him is that, one, he was coming off of a major hip injury. And, and I like to remind people that it is the same hip injury that effectively ended Bo Jackson's football career. And, you know, medicine has progressed, obviously, since the time Bo hurt his hip to where Tua is now, but it just sort of underscores how big of a deal that injury was. Um, you know, I mean, him, he didn't do himself any favors by coming out recently and saying he didn't really know the playbook. Um, you know, that, that's not going to inspire confidence in anybody, but he's also coming off what was just a weird off season, right? Like we had never had an off season like that because of COVID and guys not being able to work out and get on the field together. So that obviously was going to sort of stunt his learning curve. And you're right. The, the Dolphins sort of having, kind of a short leash on him. I mean, putting him out there and then yanking him for fits and kind of going back and forth with him, that that definitely wasn't to help either. But I like what they've done around him. They went out and they made it a point to add speed to their offense. They signed Will Fuller. They draft uh, Jalen Waddle. And, and I know, like, I'll say this, my my first reaction when they signed Will Fuller was, well, I don't know, does Tua throw the deep ball enough to make it worthwhile? I went back and looked. And he threw deep at a higher rate than I think we all gave him credit for, first of all. Second, I went back and watched some of his games at Alabama and he had no qualms about going downfield with it. In fact, if you remember our national introduction to Tua Tungavailoa was him throwing a deep pass touchdown to Devontae Smith to win a national championship. Like this is how we all sort of met Tua. So if that guy comes back, I just like what they have in place around him. Um, and I'm not, I'm not willing to give up on him yet. I know Dolphins fans are impatient. I get it. It's been a long <laughs> time since this team has had success. So I, I understand uh, I would just suggest to them and to fantasy folks who are who are itching for him to be great, like just give it a minute. He's played ten whole games in the NFL. Like let's give him a chance to figure out. Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh, real quick, by the way, for everybody, before they blast you in your comments, I meant to say five six touchdowns. Daniel Jones rushing, not five six hundred yards. I think Tua would be probably like two or three hundred yards before everybody comes after me for like I misspoke when I was trying to in my head, but. To go back to college too, I mean, with Waddle, Waddle had over 17 yards per reception playing with Tua. And then I go back to the one thing where I keep saying this time and again, there's, I don't care what team you're on. If you're on Alabama, you have all this talent around. There's still something to be said for 87 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Like that, you can't just throw that number out and ignore it. Well, and especially not against the level of competition you're facing week to week at Alabama, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think I think good things are are definitely coming. All right. So we go from a young quarterback to an old quarterback, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, where (laughs) last year watching the Steelers offense, especially late in the season was I mean, it it was like eating sand. It just was not fun. (laughs) 
Um, you know, and so now, you know, obviously a lot of us started talking. I just heard of people using the W word with Ben, right? Saying that he's washed, saying that the elbow is shot, that it's not going to happen. Now, you know, we've gotten to, to OTAs, mini camps, and, you know, a lot of people, especially, you know, Steelers fans, Steelers reporters are putting out a lot of video of Ben throwing the football at practice and, you know, trying to tell us that everything's fine and he's going to be okay. He even came out and said he had he had uh, surgery and he expects the elbow to be better this year. But we're also talking about, Jake, a guy who is, what, 39 years old. Um, you talk about, you know, injury issues. He has had a litany of injuries throughout his career. It seems like, you know, you can sort of count on him to miss, you know, two, three, four games every single season. And I, for one, just I, I don't have enough confidence in in Big Ben to really look this time last year. I was saying that there hasn't been this much anticipation uh, and no, not so much has hinged on one right arm since Henry Rowan Gardner pitched the Cubs to the National League <laughs> Championship Series. Right. And I still sort of feel that way that the Steelers success probably lives and dies with the health of Ben Roethlisberger's arm and his elbow specifically. And that reason sort of has me ba certainly backing away from drafting him. And it makes me a little bit hesitant about some of his pass catchers as well. Yeah, I could definitely see the hesitancy. And when you said the W word, I thought you were going to say what I was calling wet toast was that. The truth is, is yeah, all these things we can say, you know, the surgery, it's going to be better this year. The shoulder wasn't hundred percent and we can say all these things. And, but you can still watch Ben Roethlisberger end the offense, as you mentioned last year and say, there is legitimate reason for concern. You want to talk about injury optimism. It's a lot to ask a lot of quarterbacks coming back from a soldier shoulder situation as let alone somebody with his wear and tear because he took so many hits throughout his career. So I will point to one thing and say the play action, I think can help him. And there's been some smarter people than myself who have even pointed out the stats and brought it up and actually made me dig into this and the difference between Ben Roethlisberger and how little they were able to utilize it last year, partly because of how terrible that backfield was. And, you know, again, maybe some of it's Ben Roethlisberger, but the biggest thing is I think it could help Juju who does a lot better on play action opportunities than he does not. And you saw Juju's fall off from last season. So you look at it, Deontay, Juju and Claypool, arguably top five trio. If you're including three wide receivers in the league, if Ben Roethlisberger is even 90% of what he used to be, I think we could feel good about them and a bounce back for him for fantasy purposes. We're still probably not even drafting him because when you're when you don't run, you need to throw for 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns to hit QB one status. You have to have a Tom Brady season like we just saw or a Matt Ryan type season from what from years before. Um, but so for him, the downside is that fantasy purposes, we don't. We just want him healthy enough. Um, but I think the addition of Najee Harris, if he is even close to healthy, is what's going to help the pass catchers, even though I do think Najee Harris touches the ball 300 plus times this year. I think that actually helps everybody. Uh, I mean, I, I think if if the Steelers offense fails, I don't think it's going to be because the the weapons around Ben uh, were bad. I just don't. I mean, you mentioned the three wide receivers. You mentioned Najee Harris. I don't I don't think that will be the reason that the Steelers offense has problems if it does in 2021. By the way, where, where are you drafting Najee Harris? Because that seems to be a, a topic mm. of conversation lately, too. <laughs> I'm drafting him at the turn. First, I'm taking him 100%. Uh, I, I think it's top 10. And the one thing I keep saying is everybody talks about the offensive line. There's two things I'll bring up about that is that we've seen year after year after year, bottom five run blocking teams, whether you want to go to outsiders or whatever metric you want to use, PFF, whatever it is. We've seen bottom five, not even bottom 10, bottom five offensive lines produce top 10 running backs because what do we want? You know this. What is king? Volume. 
Najee Harris is touching the ball 20 times a game. I said the 300 touches. I wouldn't be surprised if he nears 400 because what we know about Mike Tomlin, he loves his bell cow. And if Najee Harris was on the Cowboys from a few years ago where we were taking Zeke as a top five running back, that's the only thing holding him back. I'm not saying throw out offensive line, use it as a tiebreaker. Like if you want to take Nick Chubb versus Najee Harris because on the better team, better offensive line, better offense that you think is whatever, fine. But I think he deserves to be in the top 10 conversation because I want that volume. And I do believe Najee Harris is talented enough. You talk about drafting him at the turn. Do you do the thing where you will, if you have the pick on the turn, where you take a certain guy second, just to say that like, hey, you know what? I drafted him in the (laughs) second round. As opposed to, like, it's like, it doesn't really matter, like, you know, functionally, but in your head, it makes, it sounds better. They're like, hey, I drafted Najee Harris. I got him with a second round pick uh, as opposed to the first. I, I do the opposite. I like to slap respect on the name. So <laughs> when we did a way too early mock draft for 2021, obviously before the NFL draft in the Travis Etienne situation, I had the 12th pick and I took James Robinson. And so like, let's put some respect on James Robinson's name and put him in the first round. So I do the opposite. I like, to, I like to give the people respect. Oh, that's funny. Uh, all right. I just I just want a little glimpse into some of your processes all. Um, before we go, I like to do the rapid fire stuff, especially with you, because you and I talk about random stuff all the time. So this is a chance to kind of get, the, get, get your thoughts on some things. Uh, first off, I know that in the past you had said you were kind of out on the Mets as long as you know the Wilpons were still in control of it. They have let it go. Steve Cohen has come in and like from the jump has really been aggressive in trying to like sort of change the culture and rebuild this franchise. And here we are on June 1st. Mets have a three and a half game lead uh, in the division. Have you bought back in to the Mets now? Uh, I was as soon as they sold, as soon as the little palms <laughs> were gone. I got shout out to Kenny at Roto Wear for my DeGoat shirt. Uh, I, I was 100% back in. I, I will say this, Marcus, I kind of wish I wasn't because I just feel the pain all over again. I know they have a three and a half game lead, but it's just every 17 guys on the IL. That's absurd. It's just everything can go wrong and keeps going wrong for the Mets. And it's just, I, it's like, I was, I was without this pain for three years. Why did I let myself come back to it? Granted, they're in first, which feels good. But yeah, I'm 100% back in and invested. It's, it was all about the Wilpons. I mean, I, I, I sense... I, I do sense from Mets fans, you and, and Michael F. Florio, that like there is cautious optimism because I, I do understand the pain of having you know having a team play well for most of the season and then figuring out how to get your heart broken in September. And I know I know that has been a reality for Mets fans. Um, I mean, like if I, if I brought up the name Dan Ugla, I'm sure there are Mets fans out there that probably want to throw their computers or their phones right now. Uh, for all the years, Dan Ugla just broke your heart. He had like a 30 or 40 game hit streak too, by the way. The, the, for everybody out there that's not a Mets fan, the, the, this was like if you went to 7-Eleven to buy a lottery ticket and you got three of the numbers before you even, like these are the three, and you just had to pick three more and you, you would get like, man, I have a great chance of winning. I already know three of the numbers. <laughs> and then you still just don't hit the lottery. Like that's what it is to be a Mets fan. It's like you always think there's a chance and then you just get stabbed. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough, but uh, things look good. I would say this: things are turning around. So hopefully, you know, hopefully, you just needed to get the will ponds out of the way, and things will, things will be better. Hopefully. Um, when will we get updated serial <laughs> rankings, or are you, or are you are you out of the serial ranking game now? No, I'm still in it. They're they're continuously updated. So I, when I find new ones, I update the list. So I try the cinnamon toast crunch churros chocolate 
was like recently. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's not as good as it sounds. It's actually. The, it seems like there's just one thing too many in. There. It, it does. But have you ever dipped a, tr- a churro in chocolate, like the chocolate mm-hmm. sauce? It's delicious. Right. Whatever they did with the cereal, it made the cinnamon sugar taste kind of go away, and the chocolate wasn't strong. Like it just. It's, they should have just left it. You're right. It, it, for cereal-wise, it was one too many things. Um, so I continuously update when new ones come out. There's one uh, that I recently tried, the Dunkaroos, Dunkaroos cereal, which mm-hmm. was interesting, pretty good. It's just imagine if you had like sugar. It, you remember Cookie Crisp? Yeah. Remember course. that cereal? Yeah. It's like Sugar Cookie Crisp. So oh. that was actually pretty good. So yeah, I, I, I keep updating them. I'll update them as long as new cereals keep coming out. So I'll probably update them for the rest of my life. That that sounds like one of those things that in my younger days, I would have just poured the box into just like a giant salad bowl and just <laughs> sat in front of the television and ate it. Um, I might have to go do that now. Who knows? Uh, that sounds pretty great. Uh, all right. Um, best thing you were watching on TV right now. So right now watching... Uh, you know, my answer is going to only because it's the only thing going right now is final space. It's in mm-hmm. its third season. I actually got a second moon cake just for that. The one with the knife <laughs> in his mouth. Uh, but I will say the best thing I recently watched, I already binged through it was that invincible animated yes. show. That mm-hmm. was terrific. If everybody hasn't watched that, I would put it over uh, Jupiter's legacy, which by the way, I thought got way people were out there like, Oh, Jupiter's legacy is just trying to be another boys and it's not. And then people are like, Oh, it's not another boys. What are they doing? Like, just, <laughs> which is it? You can't complain about both. Uh, it's better than people are giving it credit for. Is it perfect? No, I would give it like a seven, seven and a half out of 10. It's worth watching. Um, I will also say this, Marcus, I am disappointed in one of the shows I am watching right now. I am disappointed in a bad batch. I, you know, me clone wars, I think is one of the best, after not the best star mm-hmm. Wars saga ever the animated clone war series the bad batch is just mad and I, I hate to say that it's painful to say that um you know I, I, look i've watched all of them so far and i'm sort of with you but i'm also kind of willing to let it you know let it progress a little bit right. and see if it if it sort of picks up you're right clone i'll say this if you want proof for how good clone wars was to me it made me go back and watch the prequels I'm like, I got to go back and watch them again, which side note, I sort of made my peace with the prequels. Like I have made my peace with episodes one through three. We're cool now. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I can get there with episodes seven, eight, nine yet. We'll have to see. Um, But, you know, that 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 was okay. So I did love the Clone Wars. I don't know. Have you watched Star Wars Rebels? I'm sure you have. Oh, yes. Yeah. So So I actually did for the Star Wars. May the fourth be with you. Uh, I did a mailbag and then I ranked my Star Wars and including all the movies, but I also included all that type of stuff like solo and all clone wars. The animated series was number one rebels was inside my top five. I think it might oh, have been right. like three or four. I do remember that because you had something, I can't remember what it was, but you had something egregiously high. I think you had like high of, or low. No, I think you had like the last Jedi, like egregiously oh, yeah. high. Like you I had like it the above, last Jedi. You had it above like rogue one, which I thought was insanity. Okay. You know? Although that's the one I thought you were going to say was egregiously low. I am not a rogue one fan. I watched it once. That was enough. Like Rogue One was just, it's a fine movie. It just, there's so many things. We don't have time to get into it. I could go through and pick through the, just, it's okay. It's fine. I think it's, people want to give it more love. I don't know. But I think it's different. It is vastly different than everything else in the canon in the sense that everything else is sort of either like a science fiction or like an action movie. Like. Rogue One is like a war movie. I mean, it is a right. straight up war so, movie. So we're giving it points because it's different? Like this? Yeah, like, sure. Why not? The like, romance was forced and terrible. 
But I like okay, this. I'll say that. But it also sort of like you know, it, I, I say in terms of things that, that get retconned, because nothing nothing sucks more than having something retconned in the course of a story. But if you're going to retcon something, if you're going to retcon why the Empire left a two-meter exhaust port like in a su- supremely vulnerable area on their battle station, like this was a pretty good way to retcon that. You could have you included it in one of the new movies. We didn't have to make a whole two-hour movie out of it. I just, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that, again, we, we could go down this rabbit hole. But I will say I'm super excited for Loki when that comes out uh, at like a few weeks for that i hope so uh i will say too that uh i was you know after after the greatness that was wandavision uh the falcon and the winter soldier just felt sort of meh um i'm with you so i'm so i'm 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 hoping that that it sort of rebounds with loki i feel uh, like uh i would say i would so for the expectations you have for if you anybody wants to go watch jupiter's legacy i would say kind of falcon and winter soldier like it's good okay but it's not must watch. Watch it when you have time. But like that type of thing. And then I will crap on one before we get out of here. The Modoc okay. one on Hulu. Oh, really? Not funny at all. Oh, that makes me. Cause I, was, I was really going to start it because I love I, Pat Oswalt, and I was really kind of excited to watch. You, I, I feel like Pat, I feel like he's even forcing it a little bit. The, the mm. jokes feel forced. And I put it this way: I watched the first three episodes in the same night, and I think I chuckled four times. I did watch uh, the entire series. There was an episode or two about midway through the season where I actually out loud laughed. So there's, it's not terrible. I'll put it this way. If you're watching like the NBA playoffs and you have two TVs, throw that on at the same time. And maybe that'll, you know, you don't have to like well, kind of flaunt inst- focus. Instead, I'm just going to go back and watch uh, the Patton Oswalt Parks and Rec filibuster where he goes <laughs> into all sorts of things. That was uh, better. That'll, that'll, that'll fill the gap in my case. Uh, Jake, as always, I appreciate you coming on. I always enjoy our conversations, uh, both online and offline. Um, people who watch the show, who listen to the show, I'm sure they know where to find you, but for the uninitiated, where do they find your stuff? Yeah. At all in kid tweet out everything. And then at the athletic is what the stuff I'm tweeting out is and all great stuff. The, the breakout wide receivers comes out this week. I already did quarterbacks and running backs and then wrap it up with the wonderful tight ends. That's the, you know, the, this is the one we're really waiting for. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I said somebody I, earlier this off season, I did a four part thing on tight ends, which like in my head, when I started this, I'm like, this seems like a great idea. And then like, you know, after I finished the first one, I'm like, this was a terrible idea. I don't know what I was doing. Um, but I did finish all four parts and it came out all right. So, <laughs> so. is Adam Trotman in there? He is. He is. He was in the uh, kind of the late round upside guys that uh, I think you should take a swing at. So I liked him. Yeah, I like uh, him, Dawson Knox, Cole Komet were all part of that, that late round guys uh, that, you know, are worth taking a stab at in your drafts. So, uh, all right. So, yeah, check out Jake if you haven't already. And if you haven't already, I mean, really, what even are you doing? Uh, in the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, life should be a walk in the park, but hopefully not Jurassic Park. Be safe, take care of yourselves, get vaccinated, and we'll see you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 